Welcome to another inspirational message from London Live Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. Didn't that feel like being in heaven? Not that I've ever been, but I imagine the singing will be that beautiful. Thank you, Gina and the team. Good evening, London Live. How is everybody? Apart from feeling cold, how are you? You all right apart from the cold? And hungry. Okay, I can't do much about the hungry, dear. I could have given you my coat, but I, you know, I don't, my kids are grown now. I don't carry snacks in the bag anymore. I'm sorry. Can't help you with that one. But don't worry. It, don't worry. We're going to feed you spiritually and you can grab some food, all right? All right. So please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for this moment. None of us is here by accident, even if we think we are. So I want to thank you that the words that I speak and everything we meditate upon will come from you today. May our lives be changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today is uh, a special day. It's the 3rd of December. Does anybody know what the, what, what, the, what the international day is today? Say it again. December 3rd. The, the special, that is true. It is internationally December the 3rd. Where I was going is actually today is international day for persons with disability. Yes, today is the international day for persons with disability. Does anybody know what, what international day was on Thursday, December the 1st? World AIDS Day. So I just want to acknowledge those who are with us here today and those who are watching online who are impacted by HIV or who are living with a disability that people can see or a disability that people can't see or those that are caring for people with a disability because that itself requires a lot of love and a lot of grace and we will acknowledge you today. Um, you know, both of these days, World AIDS Day and International Day for uh, persons living, for persons with disability, they're all trying to drive two things, right? One is an awareness to reduce stigma about illness, right? And the second is to drive equity in our society and in health systems in general. And, you know, those are big aims. Those are big aims, that, but we can all contribute to them, right? Um, and we can contribute in different ways. But I just want to just, as we go into the word today, I want to be a bit practical and say that in terms of reducing stigma and, in, and, and increasing equity in the social system and in the health system and in our community, there are some things we can do. First of all, it's, um, can you respect disabled parking at the supermarket, please? And not use the disabled toilets if you, if you are not impacted with a disability, right? That's the first thing. That's easy. Can we all do that? I was, I was talking with a colleague um, at work on Thursday who lives with a disability. And he said to me that sometimes when he goes to the shopping mall, he can't get, he, he gets his wheelchair in and out of, in, out of the car because somebody comes along and parks badly. He sometimes has to wait even an hour for the person to come back so that he can go home. Please, let's be considerate. That's the Christian thing to do. The second lecture, point <laughs> is let's not be afraid to ask people what help they need. Let's, let, let, let's not assume that they he need help or don't need help. Let's ask, right, uh, when, when it comes to kind of offering or not offering help. And the third thing um, that really hit me hard is if we can't help, let's at least not do any harm, okay? And, and what does harm look like? It can look like staring at somebody in a wheelchair 
like there's something wrong with them. It can look like um, linking someone's illness to, to sin, right? Because we are, we are all in sin. Um, and it can also look like ignoring somebody like they're not there because we're uncomfortable with their situation. And so I'm just asking us to be compassionate as we celebrate the, these, two, these two days and just to remember um, that there are, there are many illnesses that we can't see. Um, you know, there's a lot of mental health, um, mental health challenges that people are experiencing even here in this room. So as we speak today, I'm speaking from a place of knowing that we are all going through something and we're asking God to be with us in our respective situations because the Bible does address sickness of all kinds. Um, I've been stuck in the book of John for a while now. I think the last few times when we haven't been doing our study, the last few times when I've spoken, I've spoken out of the book of John and probably out of the book, out of chapter 11. And I really apologize, but I'm really stuck there at the moment because John speaks a lot about Jesus and healing and Jesus and, and his encounters with people who are in difficult situations. And he, and, and, and he talks about it in a way that is different from, from, from Matthew or from Mark or from Luke, the synoptic gospels. He, he, he talks about it differently. And what he's really trying to do in all of his messages is to remind us, right? Not to remind us in a way by just telling us, but showing us that Jesus really is the son of God who cares and who loves the sick. And so as we think today, I want to share a message with you that's entitled Four Days. What's the message? Four days, right? Four days. And you're going to get to why I'm calling it Four Days in a bit. So as I was reading John chapter 11, I've been reading John 11, reading John 11, reading John 11. And John 11 is the story of a man called Lazarus. There are two Lazaruses in the Gospels. There's one who's in a parable. And this Lazarus is a friend of Jesus. And Lazarus is a common name. So at the beginning of the book of John 11... It, the, 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 the opening of the, of the story, right, I'm going to try and put it into, into modern English. It says, there was a man named Lazarus. There are lots of Lazaruses. It's like saying there's a man called John, or there's a man called Paul, or there's a man called Peter, or there's a man called Jack, or there's a man called Ade, because that's all, or there's a man called Junior, because those are all common names, or there's a man, mm, another common name. We'll get there. Pavle, that's also a common name. I've got a few Pavles at work. So, 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 so John is starting this, like, and you're like, so what? Yeah, there's a man called John. There are lots of Johns. There, there's a man called Lazarus. There are lots of Lazaruses. So what? And he then says he was sick. And I'm like, yeah, there are lots of sick people. So what's your point? Then John kind of, he, he, he goes a little bit closer now, and he says, where he lives. He lives in Bethany. Now that's like saying he lives in Romford or he lives in Watford or he lives in uh, Croydon, right? It means he lives just outside of the city, right? He lives there. Okay, great. Thank you for telling us where he lives. And then it tells us the names of his sisters. It says he has two sisters, one called Mary, one called Martha. And it's trying to get us closer and, and deeper into this guy's story. And then he says Mary and Martha are pretty common names as well. Right? So then he goes deep and he goes, but this Mary, this specific Mary is a Mary that later anoints Jesus. Right? So this is what, this, this is, and wipes her, wipes his, she, she anoints him with perfume, it says in verse 2, and wipes his feet with her hair. It's her brother that was sick. Okay, so it's that Lazarus. It kind of reminds me of when my dad <laughs> describes people. 
And he says, oh, you know that one. <laughs> Great dad. So that's how John started. But finally, John has landed and we all know who he's talking about. He's talking about a guy called Lazarus who lives in Bethany, who has two sisters and he is sick. So then Lazarus is sick and, 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 and then his sisters send a message to Jesus. It's like when we pray. When we pray, you know, that's what we're doing. We're sending a message to Jesus, right? And we've been studying prayer in our study, you know, in the study that we've been doing every other week. We did last week, we talked about prayers of breakthrough. And, 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 we, and whenever we pray, we are sending a message to Jesus. Do you think Jesus always receives the message? Do you really believe that? Okay, because he does. We're told actually by Isaiah that even while we... Even while we're speaking, he hears. Before we call, he answers. So keep that in your mind as, as, we, as we go through this story. So then he's sick, his sisters send a message. And I want you to pay careful attention to the message that the sisters send, okay? It says in verse three, so the sisters sent a word to him saying, Lord, he, that's our brother and your friend, you know him, he's sick. You know, the one whom you love, Lord, he, our brother, your friend, whom you love, is sick. Now, the first thing they expected Jesus to do was to drop everything wherever he was and come running. Because he's their friend, right? And it's about relationship, right? And it reminds me of when, um, you know when you've got friends that work in a really good shop and they get a discount? Okay, is it just me? you got a friend who works in a shop and they get a discount. And you're happy when you go to that shop and, and you can get a discount. Yeah, it's like that. It's like, I'm going to get a discount in, and I don't, you know guys know I do not advertise for any brands. Well, I'm going to get a discount in XX shop because my friend works there. And this is kind of how they felt about Jesus. Except it wasn't their friend that works there, it's their friend that owns it. So they were thinking that, say it's Tuesday now or Monday, They've sent word to Jesus. Jesus had the message. It's Monday afternoon. Jesus will be there by Monday night. That's their expectation because they're close and they're good friends. Is that an unrealistic expectation? Shouldn't we expect God to answer us when we call? Are they unreasonable to expect God to answer their prayer? No, I don't think they're unreasonable. And I'll tell you what made Martha feel even more justified in expecting an immediate answer. It's because Martha, when you read um, a couple of chapters earlier on and you read it also in the book of Matthew, Martha is a real homely hostess. And because where she lives is so close to Jerusalem, whenever Jesus is in Jerusalem, he stays at their house. And he doesn't stay at their house by himself, you know. He stays at his house with his 12 friends. 12 friends. 12 friends. Men. So our shopping got delivered on Thursday. And I, I'm not going to say which supermarket it was, but it was not an expensive one. It's not like I went to Harrods or Waitrose or, or wherever. I went to a normal supermarket. The shopping was £200. When I got home, because I wasn't there when it got delivered, and my husband and my daughter unpacked it, the fridge was still empty and the cupboards were still empty. I'm just saying, 12 men. So Martha was in, her, was in her right to expect Jesus to come and sort her brother out after she fed him and his friends repeatedly. 
And it wasn't an electric stove or a gas stove. She had to fetch the wood. She had to fetch the water. She had to do a lot to feed them. And she did several times. So now she's saying, Jesus, I've done a lot for you. My brother loves you. He's sick. Can you come and sort it out? Jesus doesn't come. Jesus hears her, but he doesn't come. To really understand this story, you have to appreciate the fact that the culture that these people live in equates sickness with sin. You're not sick because you, they're, 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 the cells in your body are not functional because of chemical imbalance or because of uh, destruction or, 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 or some medical thing. You're sick because you've done something wrong. You deserve it. And so the longer her brother is sick, the worse he will look to the community. And they just need him to get to be healed quickly so they don't think he's that much of a sinner. The other thing is, they are a family who have really kind of put themselves on the line. You see, they are related to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the, the religious leaders and the political leaders of their time, and, the, and they run the system. And they are closely connected to the Pharisees, and they have compromised. No, they have, they have, um, yeah, they have put themselves on the line by hanging with Jesus. They've, they've, they've put their reputation on the line. And if Jesus turns out to be the son of God and the Messiah, then it's great. They've hedged their bets on the right side. But if Jesus turns out to be a fake, their whole reputation is gone. And they're really close to Jerusalem. So word will travel fast. And so, and so Mary and Martha are hoping that Jesus has taken all these things into consideration and that he's going to come. But he doesn't come. In fact, by the time Jesus gets to them, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's not been sick for four days. He's been dead for four days. And to, as I was reading John 11 this week, I realized something that to really understand John 11, I must read John 9 and 10. It's like, you know, sometimes when you watch a film, the film stands all right by itself. The film is good. The film is funny. The film is interesting. But there are little things, little references in the film that unless you've watched the film before, you don't get those references. It's like you can watch you can watch an Avengers movie. You can absolutely watch an Avengers movie on its own. But it's better when you started with Captain America. Can I get a witness? Right. So this is, so this is the situation here. John takes us, first of all, in chapter 9, to a story of a man who is born blind. This man has no name. He's just called a blind man. Uh, he has no name, but we're told that he was blind from birth. And in the book of John chapter 9, Jesus notices this man. Jesus is in the Jerusalem area. He's passing by and he sees this man who's been blind from birth. And in John chapter 9, his disciples ask him a question. And it's a fair question. They say, Jesus, this guy is blind. Did he sin or did his parents sin for him to be born that way? And as we think about sickness and disability, I want you to bear in mind that although in this culture today in England, we don't actually say that, sometimes we treat people as though that's the case. Especially when it's a condition that can be associated with something social, like something sexually transmitted, right? Or if it's something to do with, um, you know, obesity or, 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 you know, stress or whatever, we, we, we kind of blame the person for their condition 
And so the disciples are trying to do that. And Jesus spends chapter nine cutting through that. He heals the guy. He tell, he spit, that's the bit I don't like. He spits on the ground, rubs it on the guy's eyes. I would have just asked Jesus just to speak to me, to be honest, at that point. Because I don't really do saliva. But, he, but the man does it. He goes and he washes in the pool of Siloam. Jesus heals him. And then after he's been healed, the Pharisees are mad. They are mad because this guy's been healed and they give this, they, they interrogate this guy so much. They go in his face and they say, what did Jesus do to you, Miro? How did Jesus heal you? And they don't just say it once. They interrogate, they interrogate, they interrogate. How did he heal you? Tell us what he did. Tell us how he healed you, Maria. Tell us exactly what he did. And what they, they want you to say is that he cast a magic spell and he was really bad. But they keep saying, he just healed me. And they're going on and on and on. And in the end, they're so mad. They go and call the guy's parents. And they come for the guy's parents and they, they say to the guy's parents, what did you, you know? And then the guy's parents are scared because they don't want to get kicked out of the community. And they're like, speak to him. He's a grown man. We've got nothing to say. And in the end, the Pharisees are so angry because this guy's saying, why do you keep asking me about this healer? Do you want to believe in him? I don't know. I just know that he healed me. And he must be a prophet of God because if he wasn't a prophet, he couldn't have healed me. And this man is claiming his healing and he knows that the healing has come from God. And if you read chapter nine, he's going back and forth with the Pharisees and they're mad at him. And in the end, this is the extent of their anger with this man in, in, in chapter nine of, of John. Okay, so the man, they're going back and forth in this dialogue. They're saying, we know that Jesus is a sinner. We know that he thinks he's a son of God and he's not a son of God. And he couldn't have healed you in God's name. We don't know who he is. And the man says... In verse 33, if, no, in verse 32, this is what the man says. Now, I'm going to start from verse 30, just so you can get the context. The man is talking to the Pharisees after his healing. The Pharisees are really mad at him, and this is what the man says. It says, the man replied, well, I'm astonished. Well, this is astonishing. You do not know where he came from, and yet he's opened my eyes. We know, according to our tradition, that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone fears God and does his will, God hears him. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard of that anyone's eyes, that anyone has opened the eyes of a blind person. Now, there is nothing recorded in the Old Testament about a blind person being given their sight. That's why he's saying that. And he says, if this man were not from God, he would not have been able to do anything like this because God would not have heard his prayer. Listen to what the Pharisee, to me, that was a sermon in itself, right? I would have said, amen, accepted it and gone home. The Pharisees are not having it. The Pharisees are mad. This is what they say to the man. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin from your head to your foot. And you presume to teach us? Then they threw him out of the synagogue. In other words, they excommunicated him. And remember, the synagogue is the center of the community. You can't go to the synagogue, you're out of the community. Basically, they threw him out of the community. So that's what happens in chapter 9. Then in chapter 10, and then they, go, they come for Jesus. In chapter 10, they come for Jesus again. And in chapter 10, this time, they, they make, they, they're so mad, they go back to the thing about the blind man. Right, And it talks about the fact that some people believe that he was the son of God because he'd healed the blind man. Others said that he used demons to do it in chapter, in chapter 10. And then it says, others say that um, these are not the words and thoughts of one who is possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind? And the Pharisees are like, will this stop? Chapter 9, will it stop? Chapter 10, will it stop? 
So now we get to chapter 11. And by the way, they try to stone Jesus in chapter 10. They try to stone him. They try to kill him. He gets away. He goes across the Jordan because his time has not yet come. Jesus has to die on a cross, not from stoning. So he leaves. I want to acknowledge here that Jesus actually could have called down angels and knocked them all out once. He could have actually spoken it and they would have been knocked out once. Isn't it interesting that Jesus kept his mouth shut and walked away? Meanwhile, in London, I stand and I will not shut up and I will not walk away. Just saying for those that are like me here and online, just, just saying. So back to chapter 11. So then when now, now we're in chapter 11, I wanted to go back to chapter 9 and 10 to give you a bit of a context to our key verse today. Because our key verse is in um, John chapter 11. And I want to speak to the four days in the context of this verse. Okay, so in John chapter 11, I'm going to read verse 36 and 37. In, and this is what it says. I'm reading it in the Amplified because I love the way it says it here. In 30, verse 36, so, so, so the context is, remember I said to you, the girls, have, the girls have called him and said, Jesus, hey, you love our brother, can you come? Jesus hasn't come. He's been dead for four days. Jesus now rocks up to Bethany. Mary and Martha have got a house full of guests who are mourning with them. Lazarus is in a tomb buried. People have come in from Jerusalem, Pharisees and all sorts of people are there comforting them. And, and, and Jesus has now arrived. Jesus arrives. Martha goes out to meet him. She's upset. Jesus, if you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died, but I still trust you. Mary, who loves Jesus, can't even come out. She's too, she's too upset. She stays in the house. Jesus has to send for Mary. Mary comes. Jesus consoles them. And then Jesus, in verse 35, we're told that Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible. He didn't weep out of, he didn't weep out of powerlessness. He wept because he knew that ultimately, he was, this thing about death, it, it, it got to him. Every time someone dies, it gets to him. But he also knew that there was a bigger mission that he had to accomplish and he could have stopped and just resurrected everybody and healed everybody right there. But, in, but, the, but, but, but that wasn't going to save the world. The saving the world had to happen a few chapters later on the cross and he had to get to the cross to really save the world. And he knew that. But in the meantime, people are dying and hurting and asking him why. And, and, and he stayed focused on the mission knowing that there's a bigger picture. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in, in, in wanting to do the small things now and, and that we miss the bigger mission. And Jesus was trying to stick to the bigger mission and it took a lot for him not to just speak and heal everybody and speak and resurrect everybody. And I wonder how we can learn from Jesus about staying focused on mission and also learn that his bigger picture was enough for everybody, for all of our situations in the end. And so Jesus is there and he's standing and he weeps. And now I'm going to read the, the, the key verses. It says, so the Jews were saying, oh, see how he loved him as a close friend. Verse 37, but some of them said, couldn't that man who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Four days. You see, a few points. Jesus on arriving to this, this chapter was almost stoned, we've said, and, 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 and he's been called by Mary and Martha, and they feel that he didn't answer, but he did answer. And in that point where he was answering, but they felt like he didn't answer, that's the hardest part. You see, the hardest part is when you've prayed and it gets worse. In those four days, they had prayed, they had called him, they had spoken to him, and it got worse. 
What do you do in those four days when it gets worse? And it's got worse, and the brother you prayed for has died. It got worse. That job that you were, you know, you were in consultation for, you've actually now got the letter to say the job is gone. It got worse. The first debit got rejected, but you thought the money would come through, and it didn't come through, and now your house is going to be repossessed. It got worse. You tried in that relationship, but the person still walked away. It got worse, the symptoms, and now you have the diagnosis. It got worse. I want you to know that sometimes after you've prayed, it will get worse in those four days and sometimes those four days are just symbolic sometimes it's been four years sometimes it's been 40 years my grandma prayed for my uncle for years until he found Jesus it got worse it got worse some of you are praying for your children now it might get worse but don't stop praying because it's four days four days must come to an end the reality of it is in those four days Jesus is working and he is answering Jesus wasn't sleeping Jesus was performing miracles on the other side of the Jordan and preparing for the miracle of a resurrection. But it's easy for me to say that standing here in my right mind and healthy and relatively warm, even though it's cold in this place. And there's somebody who is in a situation where it's not warm. They're not okay. They're in the middle of those four days. And these, these are just words. I'm just praying that these words will turn into something through the Holy Spirit, that will get you through your four-day experience. And the thing about it is, the truth about it is, in those four days, not everybody who comes to you is there to support you. Their house was full, but not everybody in the house loved them. If the truth be told, some people really would have rather bought their popcorn because they really wanted to know how this was going to go down. They knew who Lazarus was. Do you understand this family situation? This was a prominent family, right? This was a family that everybody knew. They had links to the, to, to the, inner, the inner circles in Jerusalem. People came from Jerusalem to be with them. People knew who Lazarus was. Lazarus was a good guy, a popular guy. I've already told you Martha operated an Airbnb for free. Mary had done what she'd done, but she loved Jesus. And when he was there, she sat at his feet and wouldn't move. Her sister had to nag her to come and help. And now Jesus, in these four days, is missing. And now people are saying, oh, I'm really surprised, Karen. I thought you were a Christian. I'm surprised that's happening to you. Oh, Miro, aren't you a pastor at London Live? I mean, I'm surprised that you're going through that. You know, shouldn't you be going, you know, does Jesus really love you? And I could go on and on and on about the things that people might have said in that moment. But I can tell you this. In verse 36, when, in verse 37, when those people said, you know, could he not have? That was shade. That was some serious shade. But let me go deeper with that shade because this is where I, I want us to, to go a little deeper. The question is deep. When they said, couldn't he have done it? They're saying, why didn't he do it? And they're saying, why didn't he do it? For a couple of reasons. And the first reason they're saying it is they're comparing him to a blind man. And the truth is, they did not believe that the blind man deserved to be healed. Because remember, the Pharisees just told him he was sinful from his head to his toes. Has anyone ever told you that before? That you're sinful from your head to your toes? The Pharisees had excommunicated him, and that's who Jesus had healed. So if Jesus is going to heal a man 
If Jesus is going to heal a man who doesn't deserve it, why won't Jesus heal a man who deserves it? Lazarus deserves it. Remember the sisters said, Jesus, your friend who you love. Surely he deserved it. So this question is deep because it goes back to a question of what our culture teaches us about our pain. That if God loves us, we wouldn't have pain, right? Or if we were right with God, we wouldn't get sick, we wouldn't lose our jobs, we wouldn't get hurt and people wouldn't leave our lives. And, 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 and in the back of Mary and Martha's minds, as much as they would like to, to, to believe that they believe in Jesus, there's a little thing in their head that has that culture in them and that is telling them, how could Jesus heal all those people and not heal our brother? Shade. And Jesus is trying to do something here. He's trying to break something. He's trying to break a cycle. Yes, I healed the blind man and I didn't heal my friend because I want you to know that nobody deserves to be healed. Nobody is worthy of healing. Nobody, nobody has a ticket to healing. We are all in need of healing. We are all in need of a savior. And Jesus wanted to reshape the culture that says good people get and bad people don't get. And he wanted to teach them that bad things can happen to good people and good things can happen to bad people, but he is still God. He wanted us to know that that he doesn't play favorites when it comes to healing. He heals according to that thing that says all things work together for good in the end. And in the end, Lazarus's death did work for good in the end. Because what happened is, after he was, um, after Jesus re um, resurrects him, instead of healing him, it's like giving him a new life, more people came to trust in God as a result of it. The Pharisees got a little mad as well and tried to kill them, but that's another story. But I want you to know today that Jesus still isn't playing favorites. And in your situation, whether you feel like you're worthy or whether you feel like you're not, Jesus is still good. And Jesus is still answering our prayers. And in that four days, while you are feeling like he's not coming he is coming he has heard and he is going to do something and as we wind up I want to tell you something about the way that Jesus works in our lives and the fact that he's always for you in the book of Corinthians second Corinthians chapter 12 one of my favorite chapters when I was coming into my relationship with Jesus I loved the chapter of Corinthians 12 because it's a of 2 Corinthians 12, because it's a, it's, a, it's a story where the Apostle Paul is going through something. The Apostle Paul is going through something and he needs healing. And he keeps saying, why won't Jesus heal me now? And he's pleading. He says he pleaded three times for God to take that thing away, that thing that people, that sickness, that, that thing, that, that, that weakness that people either can see or can't see. And I've been struggling with this thing and it's been four days and it's getting worse. The Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is what, what I want to leave with you today as you, as you think about your four days and where you are in your personal experience today with Jesus. He says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I might that it might leave me. What is your it? Is it a physical ailment? Is it a, a, something in your mind? 
Is it that the money's too short and the month is too long? Is it that you're coming into the holiday season and you're feeling lonely and you don't know how you're going to spend it? I don't know what your it is. But the apostle Paul said he prayed three times for his it. He waited his four days and nothing happened. But God answered him and said, my grace is enough for you. My loving kindness, my mercy, and more than enough, always available, regardless of your situation, for my power, my power, my power is being perfected and completed and shows itself most effectively in your weakness. So, so that the power of Jesus can be complete, can it completely enfold you, wrap itself around you, dwell in you. Caregivers, the love of God wants to wrap around you and dwell in you. In verse 10, Paul finally has it. In his four days, this is what he's going to do now. In his four days, he says in verse 10, I'll be pleased with my weaknesses. In his four days, I'll be pleased with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for the sake of Christ. In this four days, I know that when I am weak in the human strength, I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. In your four days, I'm praying that you'll be weak in human strength, but strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing on the strength of God. God bless you. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you have been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit londonlivechurch.com. Mm-hmm.